Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This evening, we come to the end of our midweek Lenten services before Holy Week begins. We have gone through the Ten Commandments up to the Seventh Commandment. And this evening, we focus on our final commandments, the Eighth, the Ninth, and the Tenth. The first focuses on bearing false witness, and the second two on coveting. The Eighth Commandment is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. The Eighth Commandment, just as the Fifth, Sixth, and Seventh Commandments, protects a gift of God given to our neighbors. The Fifth Commandment protects our neighbor's body. The Sixth protects his chastity. The Seventh protects his possessions. And the Eighth protects his reputation and good name. For honor, reputation, and a good name are the gifts of God, and he would have us preserve these gifts to our neighbor. That is, we're not to lie about our neighbor, we're not to slander them or to hurt their reputation through our words, nor are we to gossip and spread hearsay or even truth which is harmful to their reputation. For these things damage our neighbor whom we are to love and to guard. This particularly has to do with what happens when we see our neighbor committing sin. If we see our neighbor committing a sin which they think they have done in secret, we are not to spread the word, but to keep quiet. For sharing this does nothing to help our neighbor, but hurts them instead. Sharing about what they have done does not bring them to repentance, but instead hurts their reputation. Rather, we are to do just like uh, what would happen if they were to have sinned against us. When someone sins against us, we don't run and tell others, but first we rebuke them privately in order to correct them. So instead, we should tell our neighbor and try to win them back. For these types of situations, we must ask ourselves, am I willing to testify about this in the court of law under the penalty of perjury? If we're not certain that we would testify in court under an oath to our own harm, why would we spread this information to others? In a similar way, when one sins against us, we follow what the Lord has told us in Matthew chapter 18, that we first go to them privately to correct them. If they do not repent that sin against us, to then bring two or three witnesses so the charge may be established. And if they still do not repent, then that is when we come to the church. All of this is about protecting our neighbor's reputation and good name even the one who sinned against us, rather than spreading news of their fault. This is the context of St. Peter's saying in his first epistle, love covers a multitude of sins. Our love for our neighbor should cause us to overlook their faults and desire the best for them. It's about looking out for the one who has sinned against us privately, rather than spreading word of their sin far and wide as gossip no matter how true it may be. The ninth and 10th commandments go together as they both uh, deal with coveting. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's house, which means we should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get them in a way that only appears right, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. The tenth commandment is similar. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor, which means we should fear and love God so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers or animals, or turn them against him, but urge them to stay and do their duty. The main difference between these two commandments is the object of coveting. One has to do with our neighbor's possessions, and the other has to do with coveting those who have a relationship with him. Whether it is spouse or workers, we shall not covet them. We might think that these are redundant commandments, especially since the seventh commandment already forbids greed and the sixth forbids lust and adultery. But since these two commandments are especially important because they go to the heart of the issue with coveting, that it leads to idolatry. St. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Coveting is idolatry because it so highly places the object coveted in our hearts. It has us desiring what God has not given us, and can even make the object of our desire into an idol because we fear to be without it, we love it above all, and we trust that things would be better if we, were, if we had it. In the end, covetousness is never alone, but op- often leads to all sorts of other sins. In our first lesson from 1 Kings, we see how coveting often leads to sin upon sin. Ahab, as king, had already had more than he could ever want. God had supplied him with much, even though Ahab was by all accounts a wicked man who did not even correct his pagan wife, Jezebel. Despite all of this, he was not content. He was covetous of his neighbor Naboth's vineyard, his neighbor at a second village or city where he had a second palace, saying to him, Give me your vineyard so that I can use it as a vegetable garden, because it is beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard in exchange. Or, if you prefer, I will give you the purchase price in silver. But Naboth did not want to part with his vineyard, for it was part of his family for generations and part of the land allotted to his ancestors and handed down from Joshua according to the law. This is the sensible thing to do for a pious Israelite. For God had given laws governing the land in this way so that families would always be provided for and no family would be blotted out, but always keep their inheritance within the greater family. And so he said, May I be cursed by the Lord if I were to give you the inheritance from my fathers. It's clear from Ahab's reaction that he was not used to rejection from those under his rule, going to his couch, sullen, laying down, and not eating. Maybe he was still smarting from the Lord's rebuke at Mount Carmel, where the Lord rained down fire from heaven on Elijah's sacrifice, and the prophets of Baal, his and his wife's personal prophets, were put to death. And the people said that they would follow after the Lord God only, and so they would need to leave the land of Israel in order to go to the kingdom of Judah, 
yearly to worship in Jerusalem. No matter why, he still desired Naboth's vineyard. He still coveted it. And this consumed him and led to sin upon sin. When Jezebel offers to get it for him, he gives her all she needs to do so. And so, in Ahab's name, she calls on the leaders of the city to bear false witness against Naboth and to murder him. For she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and they were sealed with his seal. She sent the letters to the elders and nobles who were living in the city with Naboth. She put in the letters, Proclaim a fast, and then seat Naboth at the head of the people. Seat two wicked, worthless men opposite him, and have them testify, You cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of the city did exactly that. They followed the orders of their king through Jezebel, being wicked as they were. Two men were chosen as false witnesses who feared neither God nor men and were willing to lie under oath in order to have someone put to death when they wouldn't even benefit. Not that that makes it any better. The leaders likewise were complicit, knowing that the testimony was false, but going along with it anyway in order to please their king and find favor in his eyes, and possibly to gain coin and gifts for their trouble. Maybe they would even be gifted with some of those vegetables that Naboth was going to grow in his new vegetable garden, or sorry, Ahab was going to grow in his new vegetable garden in Naboth's old vineyard, which was now taken from him in a way that appears right to those that did not know what he did. But the Lord sees through pretense and sends the prophet Elijah. And Ahab, even after seeing the Lord work miracles through Elijah in order to prove that the Lord was the only God, still does not repent, but greets Elijah as my enemy. The Lord, however, would bring justice and prophesies through Elijah, in the place where the dogs licked Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood also. I am bringing disaster against you, and I will burn you up. I will cut off from Ahab in Israel all those who urinate against the wall, both bound and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Bashah, the son of Ahijah, because you have provoked me to anger and caused Israel to sin. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and Bashah, the son of Ahijah, were both kings in Israel who promised the Lord to be faithful but then immediately fell into rebellion against him. After repeatedly and constantly turning to idolatry and forsaking the Lord and his commands for generations, the Lord completely destroyed their families so that none would remain, and the kingdom of Israel was given to another. First, it was given the kingdom from Jeroboam to Basha, and then from Basha's family to the family of Ahab. Concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dead who belong to Ahab in the city, the dogs will eat, and the dead will eat in the country, the birds, of, and in the, the dead in the country, the birds of the air will eat. In response to this, Ahab humbles himself. He puts on sackcloth and he fasted. He slept in sackcloth and went around in a subdued manner. And even after all the sin upon sin which Ahab had racked up in this matter alone, the Lord was merciful to him and puts off the disaster on Ahab's house until the next generation. 
Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? The Lord says to Elijah, Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster during his days, but during the days of his son I will bring disaster upon his house. However, the Lord would still fulfill his word regarding Ahab's own death. And in the very next chapter, which I recommend reading the next few chapters of 1 Kings, we hear how when Ahab died in his chariot during battle, they washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes bathed there, in fulfillment of the word of the Lord had spoken. Yet we should be encouraged, dear brothers and sisters, that even here the Lord was merciful in delaying the judgment on the household of Ahab, for it gives us hope, because we know that we cannot keep the law as we should. We cannot keep the Ten Commandments as they should be kept. I should hope that after this season and going through the Ten Commandments one by one, that we should not think that we have kept them, nor could keep them perfectly. For as St. James tells us, whoever keeps the whole of the law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And we have not kept all of it while only being guilty in one point. That is why our Lord sent his Son to die for our sins. And as those who have been made one with our Lord Christ by faith, who have been grafted into him, and so who are called after him as Christians, we may also flee to him who has done so much for us. Our Lord has made atonement for our sins and the sins of the whole world. He has promised to forgive our sins when we come to him in repentant faith. And so may we always return to him with humble and repentant faith when we sin, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And since God is our dear Father, we may also come to him for strength, praying that he would grant us his grace and spirit to be able to keep his commands, so that we may, by his power, follow them in accordance with his good and gracious will, not because we seek to gain anything by it, but out of filial fear of him, that is, fear of causing him displeasure by our own actions, because he loves us so. And we also pray for this and strive to keep the commandments because of our faith in him and for love of him. For by faith we receive his great gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation, and so we love him because he first loved us. And so knowing his great love for us, let us pray to him who sent his son to die for us, that he may ever keep us in his grace and favor, that by his Holy Spirit we may always seek to keep these commands, both now and in eternity. God grant this to us all. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding Guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.